I am Jamie Cheek. This is A View From The Couch. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. It is finally time. The delays are over. Uh, I have carved out enough time to give you the first college football preview show of the season. And today, we're going to talk a little bit about Georgia's season, where we are, and most importantly, at least for me right now, what I'm feeling about the upcoming season. The streak is over. 41 years, 14,985 days. Those numbers no longer matter. They have graciously faded into history, replaced by the beautiful numbers 33-18 to as the Georgia Bulldogs won the national championship. Back in January, the Dogs did it, and as the new season approaches, I'm honest enough to say that I don't really know how to feel. The desperation that every preseason brought is gone. The feeling of hope that killed us for so long doesn't seem to be there. Expectation has replaced hope, and the pressure of being the top dog has replaced the desperation for validation that haunted Georgia fans for so long. But as the top dog himself, Kirby Smart, says, pressure is a privilege. And today... We've got a brief overview, a brief preview of the upcoming season, and then we're going to get into what I think is one of my most favorite things to do every single year. We're going to do the SEC hot seat rankings. Who in the SEC, which coach is most likely to find himself uh, packing his bags before or at the end of this season? Thank you so much for joining me on the episode today. I hope you enjoy it. So usually this would be the state of the program podcast, but we'll get to that in a second. But uh, if you haven't seen it, if you've been living under a rock, both the coaches poll and the AP poll are now out. I don't know how much those really matter, but uh, just for the sake of having some context, Georgia is number three in both of those polls. Alabama comes in as number one in both polls with Ohio State number two. Uh, I don't have any problem with the preseason polls. I think it's very likely that uh, that Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia are they're definitely. If you look at the uh, the, the the composite rankings over the past few years, the talent rankings uh, based on recruiting, those are the three most talented teams in college football. And actually, Clemson, who's number four in the in the polls, uh, is is number four. So um, I think the 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 polls have become more and more obsolete, especially now in the college football playoff era. Uh, the committee's rankings when they come out uh, in October. That That's really all that matters. But, you know, at at this point, Georgia's going to open the season against Oregon and Mercedes-Benz. Big opportunity on a on a national stage 
to make another statement. You know, the last game that Georgia played was obviously the national championship game, but being able to come out, play a really quality opponent, Dan Lanning, Georgia's former defensive coordinator, is going to be the head coach of Oregon. To be able to come out and play Oregon, hopefully play well, hopefully pick up a big win, 3.30 kickoff on ABC, you know, that's a big spotlight for the dogs to start out their title defense. Um, when you just look at the SEC, the West is a juggernaut, the East still the least. I mean, there's just not the perennial powers in the East that we've seen before. So I think it's going to be an expectation that Georgia not only wins the East, but most likely goes undefeated uh, again. That would be my expectation. I'm sure that's most fans' expectations. When you look at the schedule, if, you, if you're going to pick the toughest road game, I mean, obviously the neutral site game against Oregon would probably be uh, the toughest game of the season. But if you, you know, pick a road game at Kentucky, on November 19th would probably be the toughest game uh, on the road. Toughest home game a couple weeks before that against Tennessee. But when you think about what I'm saying, there's no Alabama, there's no LSU, there's no A&M, there's no Ole Miss. I mean, it, it doesn't get much easier than this. I mean, the, the crossover games, you got Auburn and you got Mississippi State. Um, you know, neither one of those teams are void of talent, but it's not it's, it's very possible that that's the number six and number seven teams in the West. So Georgia's schedule is extremely manageable, especially if they can get through that opening game against Oregon. You know, it, it, we'll get into an offensive and defensive preview, talk thousand names like I normally do. But obviously Stetson Bennett back at quarterback. The one thing I'll say at this point, I've heard a lot about the work he's put in in the offseason, specifically in the weight room that Stetson has has really worked hard in the weight room and has actually improved his arm strength since the end of last season. Now what that means, how much that's going to change, he was on he was already one of the leaders in uh, yards per attempt last year, so I'm not really sure if that's for his NFL prospects or if it's for, you know, coming back for what seems to be his 37th season in Athens, but either way, Stetson's the starting quarterback that's solidified going into the season. A lot of talk will go into the wide receiver room and, you know, Jermaine Burton's transfer and, oh, my goodness, what we're going to do. Wide receivers are going to be fine. Running backs, yes, you lost James Cook. Yes, you lost Samir White. Georgia has plenty of really, really good running backs. There's not going to be a step back there. The offensive line, as as always, as, as it should be, the offensive line is going to be the key of the offense. If they continue to gel and they can put things together – Georgia's offense is going to be just fine, and it could be explosive because Georgia has, without a doubt, the best group of tight ends in the nation. Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, Arik Gilbert, who didn't play last year, the LSU transfer who didn't play at all last year, and then true freshman Oscar Delp, who has just been getting rave reviews in fall camp. Um, and saw him in the spring game as well. Very talented guy. These four guys are absolute game changers. We saw Bowers last year become the most dynamic tight end in college football. The physical presence that Darnell Washington has, as far as his height, you just throw the ball nine feet in the air and he's the only guy that can get it. But Arik Gilbert, in my opinion, is going to be the game changer. We'll talk more about that in the offensive preview. I'll explain to you, and again, it's hard to do in this medium, but I will try to explain to you why I think his impact on this team is going to be profound even in his first season in Athens you know there's going to be a lot of talk especially from the national guys and I, sometimes I think I'm a little too hard on the national guys you know 
they don't cover the team week to week. They come in, they interview coaches, you know, right before the game, probably Thursday before the game's on Saturday, and then they try to just they speak in generalities. There's going to be a lot of talk about the things that Georgia lost on the defensive side of the ball. Three first-round picks, the number one overall pick, you know, off of that defensive line. And I get it. I understand that Georgia lost a lot of talent, and I am not for a second going to try to imply that Georgia's defensive line is going to be as dominant this year as they were last year. Of course they're not. You don't lose that kind of talent without taking a step back. I think what is being missed is that Georgia's defensive line can take a step back. Georgia's defense as a whole could take a step back and still be the best defense in the nation by a decent margin. Last year's defense was historically good. So this year's defense can be really good top two, top three, top four in the nation, something like that, not necessarily compared to last year, but they can be excellent this year because there's so much talent. You know, Kirby's talked about in the preseason, yes, they lost a lot of talent on defense, but what people don't realize is the talent that's been waiting on defense to get their opportunity and the the tone that was set last year, the expectations that were set in those meeting rooms on that side of the ball, the establishment of what it means to play defense at the University of Georgia, those guys were watching. They have in their mind that what that team did last year is what the expectation is, what the bar is. And so if that's their expectation, if they're going to go out and strive for that, even if they come up short, Georgia's defense is going to be one of the best in the nation. You know, I said that usually I use this first podcast as kind of a state of the program, but I really just I don't know how to get my mind around that. You know, this this is kind of where I'm at. This is what I wanted to talk about. How do I feel? I don't know. I'm still I'm sitting here in my basement recording this. I'm looking at a, a framed piece of uh, I guess art. I don't know what you call it, a memorabilia of you know the the AJC uh, for the national championship edition that we got framed and is up on the wall like. We won the national championship. As a Georgia fan, since Mark Rick took over in 2001, what happened on January 10th of this year was the thing I had been waiting for. And as a fan, when you get that thing, I, I don't know how I'm supposed to feel. I hear Kirby talk. He talked about it at the, at the national championship celebration about the next team, the next year, getting hungry, staying hungry. I'm not as hungry. <laughs> I mean, I'm not. We won the national championship. It was awesome. But there's not the same energy there going into this season because you got it. So while I don't think the players feel that, I think the fan base absolutely does. But I'll also say this. I remember 2017. I remember talking to my brother during that year and telling him, man, we really got to enjoy this because that year changed the expectations. That year was fun. It was kind of unexpected. You remember you had Jacob Eason. He gets hurt in the first game of the season, the first half of the first game of the season. Here comes a true freshman, Jake Fromm. What is this going to be? What can we expect? And it was a you know just a, a wonderful ride all the way to the national championship game and into overtime of the national championship game. So that, to me, felt like the last time it would be fun for a long time because 18, 19, those were years that we were supposed to win the national championship and we didn't. 
and every game felt like a pressure cooker of, oh God, if we lose, then what, right? Like that hope I talked about in the intro, the hope that kills you, it was, it was hope, but it was also just waiting for the awful thing to happen. And it had happened so many times to Georgia that you just assumed it would happen. Well, it didn't happen. The good things happened. Even after the, the really disappointing loss in the SEC championship game, Georgia came out, stomped Michigan, and managed to beat Alabama for the national championship. So for me, I think I come into this season excited. I'm excited to get back to Sanford Stadium. I'm excited to see us play Oregon in the first game of the season. I'm excited to get back to college football because I love college football. But in a way, that fear that accompanied my fandom for so many years has gone away. And I'm hoping that for the first time since 2017, it can just be fun for Georgia fans. Yes, I want to beat every team on our schedule. Yes, I hope we go back-to-back. I want to establish a dynasty just like Alabama now. And in 10 years, I want them to look back and go, Alabama set the table for what Georgia was able to do and that Georgia's dynasty surpassed Alabama. That is what I want because I'm a fan, and that is short for fanatic. I want to believe that can happen. But if Georgia goes out this year, wins the East, loses a game during the season, and doesn't make it to the playoff, I'm not going to be crushed. And I think that's the difference, is that with a championship behind us, you can relax just a little bit as a fan. Now, hopefully the players are still working hard. The coaches are still working hard. Kirby's a $100 million man now, so I'm sure he's stepping it up. So the fan base can maybe relax a little bit and enjoy this a little bit and let's see what this team can do on the field and just enjoy it. We're going to come back over the next couple weeks. I'll have an offensive preview show, a defensive preview show, and then an SEC and national preview show. All of that leading into the, the Oregon game preview that we'll do the week leading up to the first game of the season. So that is my brief season preview overview. We're going to take a quick break, come right back, and let's talk about the coaching hot seat in the SEC. All right, it might not say a lot of good things about me uh, that I enjoy this so much. My good friend Jeremy on his podcast, the 3rd and 15 podcast, uh, he, he talked about this earlier this week. And, you know, he, he kind of did more of a national preview, picking one coach from each conference. But I think he talked about a few others. But, you know, he kind of equivocated a little bit. He didn't lean into the heel nature of, of what I'm about to talk about. I understand these guys are you know, people. And so I'm kind of like separating the humanity of these coaches a little bit when I talk about them, because they're also all millionaires. So uh, I can kind of let their bank accounts offset whatever, just utter cruelty that I kind of approach this with. Um, I I do want to start out kind of in, in an homage to Jeremy. We all know that in the SEC, it just means more right? So I want to take a second for an honorable mention for the rest where it means less, right? Uh, the, the hot seats around the country, I'm just picking one just like Jeremy did. In the ACC, I'm so excited to do this. Let's let's just go down the road a little bit to the North Avenue Trade School and talk about Jeff Collins. You know, Collins is entering his fourth year. He came in with a lot of energy, talked a great game. He's a great interview. He's a great media day guy. The problem has been, you know, when 
the games get played. And um, there's a, there, there's an added pressure as this season starts on Jeff Collins. So just to update everybody that lives in this state, because Tech fans, for all their putrid crap history of the last 20-something years, Tech fans love talking about the fact that 1990 uh, was the last national championship in this state. Even though it was only half a national championship, they still had those bragging rights. Well, let me just be clear when Tech kicks off in the game that they will ultimately be dominated by Clemson on Labor Day night, it will have been 11,571 days since Tech won a national championship. And whatever 365 is, you can go ahead and add that to it because Tech's not winning anything close to a championship this year. And if Jeff Collins, if this season is bad as I think it's going to be for Tech, I think you may see Jeff Collins uh, – in another position next year. The problem that Tech has is where do you go? What's the plan? You had Paul Johnson. You had – it was a weird identity, but at least you had one. Under Jeff Collins, you just seem like a wannabe, not as good, less than kind of program. Um, so in the Big 12, we'll just make this simple. I did not even put the effort in to Google who the head coach of Kansas is, but I'll take that guy. Uh, in the pack, whatever we're calling it now, I don't know who's there, who's not there. It's Herm Edwards, okay? Herm Edwards. Do a little Google. Herm Edwards at Arizona State. A lot of scandal before last season. He basically was recruiting, like bringing recruits on campus during the pandemic. Um, it was he lost an assistant coach. There's there's some pressure down there, you know. His famous interview is, you play to win the games. Well, you better win some games, Herm Edwards, because the scandal plus the fact that you're just getting run on the field every single week, I think Herm Edwards is in some trouble in the Pac-12. And then in the Big Ten, I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball. I think the hottest seat in the Big Ten might not be this guy, but I think it's an interesting conversation. I'm going to say Jim Harbaugh. Now, I know he's not getting fired. They just gave him a new contract. They, you know, they had to after he went to the playoff, won the Big Ten, beat Ohio State. I think his seat is hot because, okay, you did it, now do it again. And I think because it had been so long, because Ohio State had dominated them so much, and because ultimately they did lose in the college football playoff in fairly embarrassing fashion, I think there's going to be some considerable pressure on Harbaugh to prove that last year wasn't the aberration uh, rather than a turning point. Because if they go back and they go 9-3 and three this year and get run by Ohio State, I don't know how quickly it becomes, okay, last year was a fluke. This is who this guy is. How long are we going to do this? We're supposed to be Michigan. And I, I think even maybe by the middle of this season, before they even play Ohio State, the seat for Jim Harbaugh could get turned up very, very high, very, very quickly. I'll give an honorable mention of the Big Ten to Paul Chris, the Wisconsin head coach. They've underwhelmed for three or four years now. Again, they don't necessarily expect to win the national championship every year, but I think they do expect to play for Big Ten championships, and they've not really been in that position the last couple of years, and even when they have been, they haven't been competitive in that game. So that is my... Uh, hot seat for the least you know just a little a little a little bone to throw for the other uh 
power five conferences. Uh, I would do the group of five, but I don't want to because they don't matter. All right, let's go to the SEC. And if you're not familiar with how we do this, we're going to start with the coolest seat, the most safe job in the SEC. We're going to break it down 14 down to one. That's the way this is going to go. So we're going to start at 14. And for the first time in the history of me doing this list, it's not Nick Saban. After winning the national championship, after signing a $100 million contract, Kirby Smart has the coldest seat. King Kirby, the coldest seat in the SEC. Now, I will admit it is very close because number 13, Nick Saban, the GOAT, the greatest of all time. I, I hate Alabama. I really don't like Nick Saban. If I saw him in person, I'm sure I'd be nice to him, but uh, he does not seem like a pleasant person. Uh, but he's number 13. We'll talk a little bit about Nick Saban and the excuses that he's been making. I don't know if you heard him rebuilding last year. Uh, that's why they lost the national championship game. He didn't say that outright, but he's he's making some excuses. Number twelve, and 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 I want to give before I get to number twelve, one of the little context for the rest of the list. I'm going to give a little more explanation for the rest of the list so you understand. The seat can be hot or cold based on many different factors. So the way I've had to rank this is it's it's not just a one, you know, kind of one measurement that's used hot to cold, cold to hot, whatever. Number 12 for me, Sam Pittman. Arkansas loves them some Sam Pittman. Arkansas had a great season last year. They were super competitive. They did not play well when they came here to Athens against Georgia, but even the game they played against Alabama, they were in that game in the fourth quarter. Um, Sam Pittman is very safe. He's doing a really good job of recruiting at Arkansas. And Pig Suey, they love them some Sam Pittman. Number 11, Clark Lee, first-year coach at Vanderbilt. All right, you got a couple different factors here. First, it's Vanderbilt, and nobody really cares. And second, Clark Lee is a first-year coach. He's a Vandy guy. He's going to have a lot of wiggle room. Now, he will eventually be on the hot seat, or as hot as it gets at Vandy. But, um, you know, right now, he's got all good feelings. He, he said something pretty stupid. I, I'm pretty sure he said sometime in the preseason, if I'm remembering this correctly, that it's their uh, hope to be the best program in college football. He should really stop saying stupid things like that. It's not his fault that Vandy is Vandy, but he should he should never say something like that out loud again. Number 10 is going to be Mark Stoops. Now, frankly, I would have had Mark Stoops at number 12 like last week. But Mark Stoops has started this strange Twitter war a little bit with John Calipari, the coach at uh, Kentucky, the, the head basketball coach at Kentucky. Uh, Calipari was at some, like in the Bahamas or somewhere where Kentucky's playing some uh, preseason games. He made some comments about being a basketball school, not a football school. Mark Stoops is running his mouth a little bit. They love Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Kentucky is one of the best jobs in the country because right now he's doing well. They're very content with how he's going 8-4, and 9-3, 10-2. They love him to death. And they really don't have that sickness that gets most SEC programs where once you get good, you desire nothing more than being great. I don't really think Kentucky expects to win national championships. They would love to make it to an SEC championship, but, I mean, 10-2 at Kentucky might as well be 15-0 and at other places. So they love Mark Stoops there, but I don't know that I'd be pissing off John Calipari if I were him. Number nine, Lane Kiffin. 
Similarly, Ole Miss seems very, very happy with him. If things work out this season the way I think they're going to across the conference and really across the nation, they're going to be showing Lane Kiffin a lot of love because they're not going to want to lose him. But Ole Miss is relevant. Ole Miss is fun. Um, they really buy into his way of playing football. They've really gotten excited about the fact that they're just going to go out there and try to score a billion points and give up one less than a billion. And so they love him in Oxford, so he's at number nine. Eli Drinkwitz, the head coach at Missouri, is at number eight. Uh, this is the last of the head coaches in the top half, in the coolest half of the list. I think at Missouri there is a mixture of apathy and a realization that in the SEC, those first couple of years where they made a couple of SEC title games early on, that just was an aberration. Missouri is a, a, a decent offensive team. They Eli Drinkwitz runs a, a good program. But, I mean, really the top end for Missouri in the SEC is probably Kentucky, what Kentucky's doing under Mark Stoops right now. So uh, he seems safe, but he's won, like, two and six in the conference away from them going, well, maybe we could pay somebody else to be, you know, not quite this crappy. At number seven, I have Billy Napier from Florida. He's a first-year coach, and you might be thinking, well, as a first-year coach, how in the world could he be on this side, the you know, the, the hotter half of uh, the list? And I think it's because it's still Florida. Florida has expectations. They expect to be one of the perennial teams in the SEC always competing for at least an SEC championship, usually an, a, you know, or at least an SEC East championship. They want to be in contention for the East, and they they want to be in contention for the conference, and ultimately they want to be national championship contenders. The reason I have him this high on the list is because, frankly, I think they're going to suck this year. I think they could go six and six, seven and five, eight and four at best. And if they go eight and four in his first year, next year is going to be a ton of pressure because after all they've been through over the last five or six years and watching Georgia turn into what Kirby Smart has Georgia doing, the they're not going to be very patient. So while Napier's a first year coach, and I think it's a really good hire for Florida. He's he's got an uphill battle because the talent gap at Florida right now, Dan Mullen, the reason he got fired was the lack of recruiting, which is great. It makes sense. He's not recruiting. Let's get rid of him. And that's what they did. The problem is because he wasn't recruiting, there's not a lot there for Napier to work with right now. He's had some success so far with the class of 23, but those guys aren't going to be on the field this fall. I think Florida's going to struggle pretty significantly this year, and if they lose big to some of their rivals, uh, the seat's going to heat up on him very, very quickly. At number six, basically you can take everything I just said and mimic every single bit of it for Brian Kelly. I have Kelly on the hotter side of Billy Napier because he plays in the West, and that division is an absolute bear. Brian Kelly's first thing that he did was come down and try some fake Southern accent. I think he's kind of given up on that now. Brian Kelly's a good coach. He he took Notre Dame from the Charlie Weiss era where it had kind of bottled out, bottomed out, and he brought Notre Dame to the playoff a couple of times and really to back to relevancy. He's in a different conference now. He's in a different 
league. He's in a different situation. And the pressure that he's going to feel at LSU is not like the pressure that he felt at Notre Dame. Notre Dame's, just the feeling around the program is, it, it's dignity, right? Like it's, there's something special about it. It's the golden dome. It's touchdown Jesus. It's, we're good at football, but we do it the right way. We're kind of the pillar of college football. We're the gold standard. Not necessarily talent-wise or winning-wise, but we are the picture of what academic college football is all about. We have high GPAs. We have high expectations. He is in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Those Cajuns only care about winning, and they will roast his butt over a spit if he goes out there and starts losing to teams he shouldn't be losing to. And again, the West is a bear. So Brian Kelly better enjoy his time at LSU, but he better get to recruiting. He better win some games, or they are going to kill him very, very fast down there. I mean, let's not forget how quickly they turned on Coach O. Man, won a national championship in, I mean, what was January of 2020. And by the fall of 2021, he was hanging out with some girlfriend on the beach in Panama City or Destin or wherever he was uh, because they had let him go. So, Brian Kelly, good luck, but you are not in South Bend anymore, and you you better figure that out fast. And number five, I got Jimbo Fisher. Now, Jimbo was the first of the SEC coaches to get the big contract, right? So there's some pressure that comes with the fact that he had a $75 million contract. That's what they did. Uh, I think it was 10 years, $75 million, and that turned a lot of heads when he first hired or first signed that deal. The deal now is, though, that, you know, Kirby, Mel Tucker, um, uh, James Franklin. There's a lot of hundred million guys out there right now. I, I forgot about out on the West Coast. You got Lincoln Riley leaving Oklahoma to go to USC. Lots of guys got big contracts now, so I think that the contract pressure maybe isn't there so much for Jimbo. The pressure now is he spent the off season in a just absolute pissing war with Nick Saban, and now it's time to put up or shut up. Okay, they went out. They had an absolutely historic historic recruiting class this last year they they were the number one recruiting class in the nation five-star guys just overwhelming using the nil opportunities that uh their donor base has been able to by all accounts do the right way and or at least the way that nil is supposed to work they're leveraging those opportunities that their donors have given them to be able to get as many great players as you can, and that benefits the players. So I'm not criticizing what he's done in NIL, but now you've got that, and now there's a lot of expectations. You beat Alabama last year, but then you, you lost to a bunch of other teams. It was an average year. This is an 8-4 and four football team that feels like it's more because they beat Alabama. But that was just one great night. Frankly, that that was not a great season A&M had last year. And as he recruits better, they're going to expect more on the field. So he better start producing that. At number four, I've got Shane Beamer. Now, it's only his second year at South Carolina, but I think there's two things that put some pressure on him. A, he went out and got Spencer Rattler, the former Oklahoma quarterback, as a transfer. Now, for some reason, people on the SEC network during SEC media days 
and I've seen it a few other people nationally, have gotten real excited about Spencer Rattler at South Carolina hosting Georgia early in the season and a noon kickoff. Listen, South Carolina beat Georgia in 2019. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm not stupid enough to say that anything in, in college football is impossible. But if that is the way they're talking, oh, we've got this great quarterback. Let's not even, you know, let's ignore the fact that he got beat out by a true freshman last year and lost his starting job. But at one point last year, he was supposed to be in the Heisman conversation. He's our quarterback. Now we're going to go beat Georgia. The problem is those are the expectations that get coaches fired, right? Like those are the expectations. You're still South Carolina. You're still a medium to low program in the in the grand scheme of the top tier of college football. And you still are South Carolina, who your biggest SEC rival just won the national championship. Your in-state rival is still Clemson. And maybe Clemson took a little bit of a step back last year, but they're still miles better than South Carolina. The moment South Carolina fans start thinking that they compete with Georgia and Clemson, just because Spencer Rattler's there, that's the moment that the seat got warm under Shane Beamer. Now getting to the top three. Number three, I got Josh Heupel. Tennessee Saints, very similar situation to Shane Beamer. Tennessee transformed last year. That offense, it just clicked. Heupel's up, up-tempo. He came out. He did so many really great things. They competed for a half with Alabama. They competed for a half against Georgia. And now they expect that this is the year. Year two is usually when you see the bump. Well, you better get the bump. But the problem for Tennessee is their crossover games are LSU and Alabama. They still have to play Georgia. They have an early season matchup, I think, against Pittsburgh. Um, It's going to be tough. It's going to be very, very tough for Tennessee. So uh, I think that the heat is going to be – turned up on Josh Heupel. They're very happy with him right now, but it's all predicated on him being able to take the next step this year, and I'm a little skeptical about whether or not that step is going to be big enough to make the fan base happy. Number two is Mike Leach. Now, this is a little bit of a product of, um, well, who else is it going to be? Because I really only believe one coach is going to get fired in the SEC. We'll talk about that in just a second. But I think Mike Leach is in a tough spot. Mississippi State, is a really solid football team. I think if you put them in another conference, they're like nine and three, right? I mean, I'll just pick any other conference. I think Mississippi State's nine and three, but they play in the toughest division in college football, and they're probably the worst team in that division. So I think it's very likely that they could miss a bowl game just because of their schedule. I mentioned when I was talking about Georgia earlier, Ole Miss, or sorry, Mississippi State hosts Georgia this year. Um, I, that that's not going to go well for Mississippi State. So I think Mike Leach and his guys, uh, they're going to have they're a solid team, but I think they're going to not win very many games. And he's just not really doing anything special in Starkville, which I would assume at some point is going to wear thin on them. This entire process has gotten us to this point because this is all I really wanted to talk about. I, I've been going for about 20 minutes on this, and this is what I wanted to get. Brian Harson. it's not a matter of when Auburn is going to fire Brian Harson. It's a matter of, I said it wrong. My goodness, I'm not going back now. I just, I misspoke. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Brian Harson was 
nearly blackballed last year. The boosters at Auburn hate him so much, and I, I, I can't tell you why. I just know that they hate him. They hate him so much that they fabricated a story about him having an inappropriate relationship with a staffer just to try to see if they could force him out. He didn't go out. They hate him. They hate his wife. They hate his daughters. They hate his family. I'm not exaggerating here, folks. Read it. Google it. You'll find it. They ran Gus Malzahn out of town because they knew they could do better. Their AD found Brian Harson. It's not Brian Harson's fault that he is Brian Harson. They hired him to do an impossible job. He should keep cashing their checks. They're, they're going to end up having to pay him a lot of money to go away. But Auburn is the epitome of a dumpster fire. They have now taken the Tennessee mantle of dumpster fire in the SEC. Tennessee did this for a while where it was just a joke the way they were running the top of that program and the idea that the football product could ever be very good when they were changing coaches and there was all this controversy and all this, you know, just backstabbing and all this stuff going on behind the scenes. And then you expect the, the players to be able to go out there and be functional and win. It's just not how it works. Auburn is a mess. Obviously, they came very close to beating Alabama last year. Auburn's got to come to Athens this year. They're going to get run. Auburn is going to get beat by a lot of teams in the conference. They're not better than Ole Miss. They're not better than A&M. I don't think they're better than LSU. They're definitely not better than Alabama. There's going to be a lot of losses for Brian Harson and the Alabama boosters, or sorry, the Auburn boosters are going to get what they want. They want to get rid of this guy. They're going to run him out of town. The problem Auburn's going to run into is they don't have endless money and they're still paying Gus. So next year, my prediction is I don't know who the coach will be if I had to pick somebody. Sorry, Ole Miss fans. My pick is Lane Kiffin. I think Auburn is going to be paying three head football coaches at the start of the 2023 season, and only obviously one of them will be on the sideline for Auburn. So that is my SEC hot seat rankings for this year. I love doing that. I don't know what that says about me as a person, but I appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoyed the show tonight. Uh, Looking forward to the next few days. Going to have hopefully a lot of content coming pretty quick here. Offensive preview, defensive preview, SEC and national preview, all leading up to a game week where we break down Georgia and Oregon. It's college football season in the South. It's the best time of the year. Thank you again for listening, and as always, go dogs.